2: Blackfoot. Connect to more.
1: What was supposed to be Cat Grizz Week on the second anniversary of the last Cat Grizz Games in Missoula and how about all of the rumors about James Harden to Brooklyn. It is Tutel tell then one 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, at Gus Tutel on Twitter, at 102.9 ESPN, at Skyline Sports MT. Those are your relevant Twitter handles. We are thrilled to be with you and will be happy to have you on the show today. If you want to participate, you just go ahead and you get on your phone and you call or text. That's right, you can call or text, either one is fine, 361-3688, 361-3688, the uh, phone number there, all guests join us via the Rankage Brothers RV phone line, if you would like to uh, go ahead and listen live on the World Wide Web, you can do that as well, 1029ESPN.com, 1029ESPN.com, you go on there and uh, you check us out on uh, on the stream, anytime you would like to, you can listen to the station, obviously the show as well when it's live, whenever you would like, Thanks to Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Let's take a look at what we got in the show today. Uh, We're going to talk a little Cat Grizz football because this is supposed to be Cat Grizz weekend. It ain't happening, but... We can reflect a little bit. It is the two-year anniversary, as I mentioned off the top, of the last game in Missoula. One of the great memories in the history of the Montana State football program. One of the worst memories in the history of the Montana football program. Uh, Obviously, the fumble on the one-yard line, the goal line stand for MSU to seal up the victory uh, in the game. But we can also wanted to talk about what might this look like this week. What might be on the line in the Cat Grizz game? Talk about that, especially from an historical perspective. So we'll do that. It also is every other Tuesday. We have Justin Angle, our good friend from the University of Montana Business School, the Business Angle. He's going to come on with us and talk to us about the finances of sports in general. We're doing this every other Tuesday. And Justin, in particular, we wanted to talk today uh, about the single site of the nc2a tournament and what the financial ramifications of that are we understand why from a you know a health standpoint travel that kind of thing but also maybe the economy of that as well and maybe to get into uh, also you know the economic realities of the cat Grizz game not being played this weekend and where we're at with that so we will look forward to talking with him we also uh will uh, have for you a little bit of basketball some state volleyball champions to announce to get to you and theo epstein stepping down as the president of baseball operations of the Chicago Cubs. uh, I'll tell you what, Theo going and uh, working his way for the Red Sox to get them a World Series title and then doing the same thing obviously with the Cubs five years ago in 2016, almost five years ago 2016, and uh, now leaving the Chicago Cubs organization and a relationship that, I wouldn't say soured but certainly it was on such like an unbelievable trend. Obviously you win World Series, everything's great and wonderful and that just sort of Dropped, and everything across the organization just dropped. And I'm not sure what to think about it. So there you go. That is what we got in the show today. Coulter, how are you, my friend? Well, uh,
0: did one of the only things as anybody, anyway, listens to the show knows that uh, I don't believe in relaxation. I think it's uh, <laughs> I do. I do enjoy consuming sporting events, and that is my form of relaxation. But if I'm going to be staring at a screen, I probably want to be writing rather than. Netflix and chill or whatever all you other folks do. But one of the most relaxing experiences I experience in my life is when I go to Compass Barbershop and mm. uh, they're doing shaves again. You do have to book a specific appointment just for the shave. They're going to be really safe about it. It's only Mondays and Tuesdays. You can get a shave, but it is the full Monty. I mean, I got the, the straight blade to the neck. I got the hot towel on the face and man, just helps you time travel disappear a little bit. So thanks Compass Barbershop. Book appointment Compass barbershop is go to dot How how
1: you doing gus i'm doing great man are you kidding me it's uh, you know we're just like traded in your roller
0: skate you got yourself a 1 ton pickup no, truck here we stop, are
1: stop with that it just, that that doesn't matter what does matter is that <laughs> thanksgiving is next week well, and I'm i look forward know. to that i'm
0: um, i'm here I'm, I'm to the point where i think albert einstein nailed it
1: of course, it's, he nailed it's it. Either, Albert it, Einstein. It's
0: either all a miracle or none of it's a miracle at all. So when you say that doesn't matter, it's either nothing matters or everything matters. There's no in between.
1: Well, I I, I tend to uh, go with the everything matters side of this thing, but uh, you know this it, it it matters in circles that are much smaller than our uh, radio show, which is grandiose and broad. That's right. And Thanks uh, to all
0: the hundreds of thousands of you out there listening. Well
1: actually pretty good lot of you we appreciate I know you there being is. there be so, being serious. Yeah, yeah uh um Colter let's get into uh, a little bit of um cat grizz. we don't want to sit here and you know be all melancholy about the fact that this game isn't happening and this season hasn't happened and so forth in the big Sky conference sure. but it is an opportunity for reflection uh about you know the week that would be and Also, what what, what was, I mean, so we're again, I mean, if you're if you're if you're engaged in the world of that is the the football in the state of Montana, Big Sky Conference level two years ago today, uh, one of the moments in the history of this series all time, the greatest moment Uh, You know, one of the certainly greatest moments in the history of the whole program for Montana State and in the history of that game, uh, forcing a fumble on the goal line to stand and and, and win uh, their then-third consecutive game against the University of Montana. Montana State did in uh, Bobcat Stadium, the first Cat Grizz game back for Bobby Houck as Mm -hmm. the head coach, and then the third straight for, for Jeff Choate and so on. And also then the flip side of that coin, one of the absolute worst moments, and as we talked about quite a lot in the following days and weeks, a a single play that accentuated every single thing that Montana didn't do or couldn't do throughout the course of the season and every pick sig- up the yard, every, fumble the ball, everything,
0: and, a, and it also encompassed every single thing that Jeff Choate has tried to define Montana State as mm-hmm. in the last four years mm-hmm. as well.
1: So, uh, anyhow, that's that is the reality of what we're here. We are two years to the day uh, uh, removed from that uh, from that game. Also, though. It, thought, it got us to thinking about where we at in this series right now, but mm-hmm. also what might have been on the line this week because, and we'll, Colton, you take us through this a little bit, but these two teams from 2002 to 2012, the winner of the game, of the rivalry game, also was then at least a co-share, if not the outright Big Sky right. champion. Now, that's not to say that every one of those games was for that there's, I think, six of those games that was actually on the line, no matter who won the game. In the other six or so of those games, it was just in virtue of the team that won being the better team that they also were sharing the championship. Had the loser won the game, they would have not been a Big Sky champion. So, I want to imply that every year for that entire decade or 12 year stretch that the game represented a de facto big sky conference championship but it has about half of those times going up through 2012 more recently not as much um and yet in the last year or so i mean let's put it like this last year you could argue that there wasn't as much on the line because both these teams were already so highly ranked and they both ended up with buys and they both got there. Even though when I say it's worth not as much, it you just can't say that because it just is never true. It's always worth everything, right? It's always worth everything every year.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's start at the very top in terms of the optimistic angle of this whole thing. I think that we have both talked about a lot how we, we think that there needs to be a fundamental restructuring and or rescheduling of the high school football playoffs in Montana because in Montana, the Kakariz rivalry is paramount. It's Montana's Super Bowl. It's a game that everybody's going to have their eyes on. Mm-hmm. And because of the way it's aligned, there's been at least three and sometimes as many as five high school football state championships the Friday and Saturday of Kakariz weekend. To high, and that takes away from the kids. It takes away from the media covers. It takes away from the amount of fan interest that could be at some of these games. It takes away from, you know, it also causes for hectic travel schedules for, you know, say you do have a kid playing in the state championship game on Friday night, and then you got to go to a Cat Cruise game on Saturday. Yeah. It makes for a fun weekend. But it also is, you know, it's tenuous traveling it in the middle of the night in Montana in November. So um, we've always thought that either one, they should put the, the high school football championships at a neutral site, and maybe highlight those kids a day or two before the Cat game or maybe have a, a delay and have the high school football state championships be the week either before or after Cat So this week is going to be a fun one because – I mean, I've been making plans all week as far as going uh, over to Billings to That's cover right. Sentinel, and so that, that there's a tease for later on in the week. We will have both Dane Oliver, Missoula, Sentinel head coach, on the show later this week, as well as Rob Stanton, head coach of Billings West, mm-hmm. on the show later this week. And I will be going over to Billings, so I'll be covering that game um, on Friday night in Billings. So we'll have a little live update from the field before the game gets underway, and then obviously we have a bunch of post game sound, no matter who wins that game um, on Friday night. And then I'm actually even thinking about on the way back, hitting the game in Manhattan on Saturday because it's a 1 o'clock kickoff. Manhattan hosts Fairfield for Class B championship. So that's going to be cool. We do get football action this weekend that's supposed to be a cat weekend, so that's great for everybody involved. But it doesn't take away from the disappointment that this is supposed to be a great game. So let's go a little bit through the, the history, the modern history of this thing. Yeah. There's always been all the talk about the rivalry, and you know, Montana has an overwhelming advantage overall in the rivalry. But you must remember that for the first 60 to 65 years of this rivalry, these were not peer institutions in terms of their athletic departments. Montana was playing a division above Montana State for basically the entire, until the Big Sky Conference was founded in 1963, basically. So then, when you, so Montana has a, a you know, probably a 40 game advantage in the overall wins in this rivalry but when you look at what's happened since the Big Sky Conference was instituted in 1963 it's a little bit more even and then you look at what's happened in the modern era you know in the late 60s the grizz had a couple of their great te- first great teams in the Big Sky Conference era led yeah. by guys like Mike Tillman and uh, Steve O'Canowski and and guys like that and then Chris football was was not good. I mean, they they were in the in fact, 70s they, they early, were in the 70s. You know, they were not. I mean, they were nowhere close to the top of the big sky. In fact, they were more more often than not the bottom of the
1: big sky. We hit conference. a high watermark with Marty Morningwig there for just a, just a year so, or two, so and, then, and they, then I mean, kinda.
0: you talk about the Cats in the 70s. I mean, I think Sonny Holland went nine and one against eight and one or nine and one against the Cats in the 70s. Yeah. They had that one breakthrough year, that like you mentioned, 1982, when Marty Morningway, Brian Salonen, and those guys led Montana to a championship. Won the conference
1: championship, right. But
0: then two years later, the Bobcats win the national championship in 1984. Mm-hmm. And then in 1985, Washington Grizzly Stadium starts under construction. Don Reed is hired as the head coach. And the rest is history. 16 wins in a row for Montana. They dominated the rivalry. But then you look at from 2002 until now. 2002, when Travis later led the Bobcats into Missoula to snap the streak, and they won that game 10-7. to I still remember the headline in the Missoulians. Snow joke was the headline. Mm. And it was, I mean, it was a terrible, brutal Montana day. I Mm -hmm. mean, can't even feel your feet or your face. And a true freshman from Oregon comes in and quarterbacks for Bobcats to a 10-7 win. And that was the tipping point to then make this rivalry basically dead even for the last 18 years. But when the Cats won in 2002, 2003, and 2005, that helped them share Big Sky titles. In 2010, it helped secure the Big Sky title for the Cats and also knocked the Grizz out of the playoffs, ending a 17-year streak for the Grizz in the playoffs in 2010. It also comes with a caveat because the Grizz had a 12-year streak of either winning outright or sharing the Big Sky title. So, Mm -hmm. When you say that the winner of the Cat-Grizz game, well, when the Grizz won the Cat-Grizz game, they were winning the Big Sky title. And often, though, when the Cats were winning, they were sharing it just like they did in in 02, 03, and 05. But then you talk about 2010, Montana's playoff streak ends. That was kind of the first of this most recent run. And then 2011... The Grizz were the ones that came in and spoiled everything for the Cats. The Cats were number one in the country for the first time since 1978. And the Grizz were in their second year under Robin Flugred. And they had a a tough start to the year. I think they started 3-2. and And they didn't look good. But then the moment that that offense, that spread offense, that was kind of an Oregon-style offense started to click, and Jordan Johnson found his footing. I remember he threw six touchdowns against Weber State. And it was like, Whoa. That's what the offense is supposed to look like. And then they started gaining steam. And that Grizz team actually ended up winning nine games in a row. They pulverized the Cats in Bozeman, won 36-10, ran it straight down their throats, embarrassed the number one team in the country on their home field. And that Grizz team ended up going all the way to the semifinals of the playoffs. Um, The Cats lost in the quarterfinals to Sam Houston State the week before. The Grizz ended up losing to Sam Houston the following week. But then 2012... Was another historic stamp because the Grizz go, or the Cats, excuse me, go into Washington Grizzly Stadium and win for the second time in a row. And it also stamped the first losing season at Montana since before Don Reed was hired, the right. first losing season since 1985 in Grizz football. And then since then, it's kind of been back and forth. But when you tell, do the total tale of the tape since we'll call the modern era since the streak ended in 2002, it's nine to nine on each side. Each team has won nine games in the rivalry, but the Cats have won six out of the last 10, and that's the first time the Cats won a decade. They won the 2010s basically with that the 48-14 win in Bozeman last year to give them the first decade victory since the 1970s. So I think coming into this game, what, what would have been on Saturday was a game of enormous proportions in a variety of different ways. Can the Cats keep it rolling? Can they use the advantages that they had established within the state to keep the thing churning along hey, can the Grizz get back on track I mean as somebody that's covered this rivalry for a long time and somebody that's covered Bobby Hawk up close and personal more than almost any other coach in the league it's infathomable to me that Bobby Houck would lose three CAC Grizz games in a row but that could have been a prospect this year because the cats are going to be dang good, and so are the Grizz. And well, it so, couldn't have been a prospect is a very, you know, is a very real. Uh, it's a it's a coin flip possibility. No, no question. And so, I I think that it would have just been so interesting to see where each of these programs are at. I mean, obviously, there's no possible way we could ever predict injury or or anything like that. But I do think you made a, an interesting point. You know, like in uh, two thousand and three, for example, when the cats won that was to help share the big sky title and the game didn't mean as much to the grizz cuz they had they were already rolling you know that grizz team was stacked they they had already basically secured a playoff spot mm-hmm. whereas that helped get the cats into the playoffs but then uh, you know some of these games like the 2011 game when the cats are one and the grizz are eight and then the grizz win and that helps them they're both in the playoffs already yeah. anyways i mean there's a certain intensity that comes with that but to me the the games that become the biggest just brawls, just the biggest fist fights that you can see are the games when both teams are in the mix for playoff spots, but haven't yet quite secured those playoff that's spots. Right. And that's only happened a couple times. And that's where 2018 was. I mean, that was a de facto playoff game. Yeah. The Cats won by punching the ball out on the goal line, and that was the only that was the win that put them in the playoffs, and it was the w- loss that kept the Grizzlies out of the playoffs. That's it. Yep. So that was a playoff game. I mean, you mentioned the symbolism of that moment, and, and it is so striking to remember because that Grizz team, their deficiencies, you know, offensive line, short yardage conversions, you know, inability to to punch it in when it matters the most, inability to hang on the ball. It all comes to fruition on one play. You talk about that cat team, what were they built on? Lunch pill, Montana guys, most of whom had come to play for a different coaching staff, but they were the lone survivors of the ones that had bought into Choate. He revamped the entire defense, starting with the front seven. He wanted a ferocious defensive line and great inside linebackers. And who are the guys that make the hit? It's Tucker Yates, it's Chase Benson, it's Grant Collins. So it's Colstrip, Montana, Helena, Montana, Bozeman, Montana, punching the ball out at the goal line and securing the win. I mean, that picture... Of Grant Collins, with my brother Brooks Nuana, 6 dot mt.com of him with the Montana flag draped over him in the middle of Washington Grizzly Stadium on top of the Grizz logo, mm-hmm. and he's just crying. I mean, it's epic, man. That that's what moments are made of. I mean, that that's those moments are unforgettable, and that was an amazing moment as a Montanan. I mean, I remember I, I slugged you as hard as I could when that happened. I couldn't I, believe that 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 play commenced as it did.
1: I think there's actually still an actionable suit uh, out against you <laughs> for the. The, the physical violence that befell me in the press box at, uh, that in that moment. But, yeah, I mean, it's an epic moment that's to- totally unforgettable and obviously has two as as disparate uh, sort of emotional <laughs> feelings and experiences tied to them as they could possibly be, depending on which side of the rivalry you fall on. Uh, Colter, one thing you asked is just is a hypothetical is what would be on the line this year yeah. if this game was being played. And, yep. obviously, it's only ever going to be that. I, I don't I'm not gonna sit here and say, well, here's what I think would be particularly on the line. What what is clear to me, mm-hmm. both these teams were loaded up to be top ten teams in the country. No question. And I'd say even better. I'd say I'd say top six teams. I, I, in the it's very likely. I think it's very you know we all of the things that are caveats about injuries and whatever, whatever. Okay, Top, top
0: three teams in the big set, which then makes you absolutely inside track front runners for so, playoff seats.
1: I, I think these two teams were going to, in terms of where they were uh, a year ago, be at least at that level, again, in terms of being, you know, having a bye, having home games in the playoffs in the first round of it, both of them. And the thing that, that I think is probably most disappointing to me is that that would have made this game, First of all, it would have it would have hyper focused the the, the, the four game streak that Montana State is on as yep. as having as being central to the like obviously that will always be central until it until it's broken, but it would have been exclusive. Like this wouldn't be probably to me about anything else. Now maybe it might be for a big sky conference championship, but that would be really an addendum at the end of this thing, because it if as we both agree on these two teams were staring straight at a playoff seed, probably win or lose in this football game. This would have been about the pride and, 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 and streak and beating the neighbor, the rival, the whole thing, period. It would have been an exclusively a four Oh six state of Montana fight game. And, 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 and that would, which is always enough, but it would have been only about that because it there wouldn't have been additional things going into it. It would have been focused on just that. And that would have been a lot of fun, man, a lot of fun.
0: No question. And I think that um, th- there's several different factors here. Oftentimes athletic department momentum is accompanied by institutional momentum. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're, they're not. They're, they're exclusive from each other. I think a Bobcat victory this year would have com- completely and utterly continued to emphasize not only the, the recent dominance of the football rivalry, but the institutional momentum that Montana State has that Montana at this exact moment lacks. I think, I think that people ask, you know, is the notion that the athletic department is still the front porch to your university, is that still true? And I think that it's becoming less true across the country, but I still think that winning the football rivalry is one of the checks that students that are in-state kids that are choosing their school, there's just a massive perception right now in the state of Montana among high school seniors that Montana State is the place to be. It's the it's the place to go. It's going to be the vibrant campus. It's the vibrant town. It's the booming town. It's the the football team has the momentum. It's where you're going to have fun at the football games. That's a real factor, and I think that uh, this game does have a, a, a at least a little bit of a, an influence on that. The other thing though is that. We talk exhaustively who's winning the in state recruiting battle. And if you really break down what the in state recruiting battle has been in Montana for the last 20 years, the team that comes out on top of the Cat Grizz game usually wins. As we always talk about, there's so many guys that they're just going to the Cats. They're just yeah. going to the Grizz. Their dad, their uncle, their whatever. They have these ties that are pretty much impossible to break. It doesn't matter who wins the game. So then it comes down to three, four, five guys every year that are the coin flip guys. And Three, three out of the five guys are going to go, the team that wins the game most often, sometimes even four out of the five guys. You know, it's it's a it's a rarity where like the Grizz get a Jesse Sims, even though the Cats won the Cat Grizz game the year of his senior year. I remember that one being a, a big pawn. But the other thing that's so interesting is that one of the main reasons the Cats have been able to gain so much momentum in this rivalry is the quality and number of Montana kids they've been able to recruit, develop, and then maintain in their program. And you look at what Jeff Tote has done so many of the guys that were stalwarts of his program were actually guys he's inherited, but then he's been able to add other guys to the mix that have been really good. But even though Montana's on a four-game losing streak in this rivalry, Montana has actually cut in and gained traction within in-state recruiting way more than you'd ever expect a team that's on a four-game losing streak in the rivalry. In other words, Montana, for whatever reason, they stopped recruiting hard up in Kalispell. Co- Coach Bennett, Gla- Grady Bennett told us at Glacier the Grizz weren't coming to see my guys for a minute, even though he's an ex-Grizz quarterback. Well, now, what's Bobby Houck doing? He's hanging out in Kalispell as much as he can because he wants to be at the lake as much as he can. And so Montana's made some inroads in state recruiting, even though they haven't won the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, making inroads from what was an what was obvious lack of recruiting the state uh, for several years uh, is it does make it easier to 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 gain traction because there's only one way to go and that is yeah. gaining traction because you'd lost a lot of it yeah. as montana had yeah. uh and also losing you know losing in this individual game is significant like you say and it, and it continues to be you know significant uh in the in-state recruiting but also, there's no question about the progress and the direction and the propulsion, or however you want to talk about it, of Montana's football program. Yes. And it is it is pointed... Absolutely up, as is course, by the way Montana State. I mean, they sure. continue to both these teams continue to go in absolutely the right direction, and so. But the, but w- w- would you agree with this? Jeff Choate's doing a tremendous job in
0: Montana State, and the fact that they were in the co- the semifinals of the playoffs for the first time in 35 years last year mm-hmm. is a testament to that. He has some of the best athletes in the league across the board on both sides of the ball, but the upward trajectory, the angle of it, is not quite as steep at Montana State because it's been more of a slow, a slower build. Not that it's been slow to go from year one, losing your first six Big Sky Conference games, to year three in the playoffs, to year four, a seed and a Final Four appearance. That's excellent trajectory. But Bobby Houck went from whatever the hell happened the last two years of Bob Stitt to a team that, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot for a month straight, is in the playoffs, but they'd miss the playoffs, but then 10 wins and, you know, without a, a rainy Saturday night in Ogden they're probably a final 14 too I'm just saying that the, the, the spike was more dramatic for the Grizz because it took a little bit less time
1: it was uh, th- th- I, I agree with that I also think that like this this arrow or whatever we're talking about sure. like I, I totally understand what you're saying it's also I mean there's there's a ceiling like yeah. plateau like the needle isn't pointed up at North Dakota State it's just sure. flat line sure. Sure. but that's sure. the flat sure. line you want to be well, on sure but, that, but, so, but
0: that's the allure of the entire Montana program right is that the 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 only way that the needle flatlines at Montana is when you're when you're perennially playing for national championships? Yeah, there are very few programs. I don't even think Montana State's to that point yet. They are absolutely a top 10 they have right now with the foundation they've laid yeah. they're gonna be a perennial top 10 with jeff Cho at the helm. they're gonna be able to run the ball against anybody they're gonna be able to hit people in the mouth on defense they're gonna be right there among big side conference contenders but is there floor and ceiling like final four at, or a bust or a national championship i don't know but that's what montana was for so long it was like okay we're gonna cruise all the way to the final four and then we'll see what happens well I understand what you're saying. I guess, they, no, I guess Montana
1: has the history to be able to establish well, I, that. I,
0: I guess what I'm saying though is there's, there's only two programs in the entire country at the FCS level that have that exactly what I'm talking about.
1: Montana and <laughs> North Dakota State. I mean, n- no. North Dakota State's got it. Montana does not have it. Montana has the potential to have it. Well, that's what I mean, though. There's only two programs that have the potential. I guess there's three. There's Montana, James Madison, and North Dakota State. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. Until you've done it, then, then I guess all it is is potential. It's just hope. Yeah. But what? I, who, who? Which but, program who, is the dominant program? Uh, dominant, but which, which program is the higher level program right now? As we sit here talking about this,
0: Montana State. Okay, but but would you agree with this? That Montana's ceiling is so much higher than both Montana State, Weber State, Eastern Washington. The all the other could be's. I think Montana's ceiling is so much higher than that.
1: Yeah, I mean it probably is for all
0: of the resources yeah. and and um, all the exterior things combined with the tradition, combined with the brand. The only team that has I, I, Montana State could get there, and they 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 do have the potential potential to get into that mix. But I think that right now, James Madison and Montana are the two teams that could actually yeah. do it.
1: I mean, I want to see what what it I looks like in Bozeman after you know, after the completion of this project no is question. done and, and no that, so, But you're, as of right now, I, I understand what you're saying and I agree. The only, th- the last thing I'll say about this, and then we got to get out because Justin angle, our good friend, business professor at the university yeah. of Montana, going to join us for the business angle is this. What is, what is most frustrating to me uh, from a football standpoint, most disappointing as, as, as a, as a guy who covers this, who's, who enjoys this, who is uh, a fan of the sport and of these teams and all of that. Montana's never played Montana State in the playoffs. And it has been relatively rare that both of these teams have been really good at the same time. And that's probably why. We've had times where... One of these teams has been elite, absolutely outstanding. We've had other times where the other team has been very, very good, outstanding playoff teams. And a couple times they've both made it to the postseason, but even when that was happening, there's been some times where it was like a pipe dream that they were ever going to play each other. Some instances, I don't even remember what it was last year, would have had to have been the national championship, I think, that if they were going to face each other in the postseason, different sides of the bracket. So you don't know how it's going to develop. But the point is, both these teams are going to be very good again. Mm Mm-hmm we assume, i think it's likely it's reasonable to think both these teams could have had a home buy and been on you know a seeded team yep. somewhere in the top 8 in the country yep. and that creates a situation of real viability to see the only thing left on earth for me to see which is Montana and Montana State play a football game in a playoff setting oh, i mean can you imagine what I'm that would be like in montana oh, let's go <laughs> let's go and so and 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 there's no obviously guarantee at all that that would have happened, but there's a lot of years where it's a guarantee that it wouldn't happen. And this is one of the years where it been a very live possibility that we could get that. And that is the thing that I'm, you know, holding out for. I, 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 it will happen on a long enough timeline. It will happen, but it's not happening this year and it could have. And that is the one thing where I'm like, well, dang. From a pure football
0: standpoint, I think that there's one other, point i want to address and we'll do that at the top of the hour so stick with us at five o'clock we're going to talk a little bit about just what progress both teams need to make to overcome their internal uh, maybe deficiencies but also within this game because i I think it's been striking i think that the last four years it's not only been that montana state has won the game if you are a grizz faithful it's the way that montana Mm. state has won the game and i think we need to discuss that too so we'll do that top of the hour
1: quick break on the other side, as we mentioned, Justin Angle, good friend, business professor at the University of Montana, also the proprietor of a new Angle podcast. He's going to talk to us about money in sports, Cat Grizz money, What we're, what is not happening economically this week as a result of this game not being played. And also, if we have time, maybe get into the single site idea for the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Okay, all that coming up right after this. A hey, sports are on, and you want to watch them. College football professional football and even starting next week college basketball back on and so slide into the silver slipper they got 55 televisions for you to watch all the games on whatever your team is whatever your sport is they'll have it on for you they have drink specials every single day 20 kino machines a liquor store and pizza there is nowhere else that you should be watching your favorite team. At The Slipper, it's all about great food, tasty drinks, and their urge to have a good time. And by the way, the card room is back and open with games nightly beginning at 7 o'clock. Call or text 333-1500 or visit missoulapoker.com for more info. Stop by today to see why The Silver Slipper is one of the best-kept secrets in the entire state of Montana. They're on Brooks, right there next to the Country Club as you're headed south out of Missoula or maybe as you're headed north into Missoula. Stop by and enjoy All the food, drinks, fun, entertainment, a little bit of cards, and maybe even some uh, sports as well, the Silver Slipper.
2: Blackfoot, connect to more.
1: Ooh, oh, oh, oh. Love, Welcome back to is on, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. By the way, uh, Fairfield's going to play Manhattan in the Class B state championship. Just uh, to come full circle on that thing. Yes, yeah, single site, the whole tournament, one place. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Normally, the first two weekends are spread out everywhere. Then it goes to a single site for the Final Four. But now it's everywhere. All right. Very good. Uh, it is, uh, to tell Nuwana's ESPN Radio, and we are very happy now on this Tuesday to welcome in our good friend Justin Angle professor of business business at the university of montana he's been joining us every other tuesday will continue to do so for the business angle you get somebody who knows a little something about money about marketing and about sports as well to come in here and uh and help us out with what's going on in the world justin how you doing man great to have you back i appreciate you being here thanks so it's good to be here uh Jeez, it's, it feels like a lot longer than two weeks. I feel like a lot's happened in the two weeks since we last spoke. It's been it's been a heck of a run. I don't remember what was going on two weeks ago today, but something was <laughs> happening, and so now we got you know, exactly. now we got two weeks removed from that, and we're here again with you. But this is interesting. We want a couple of we'll cover a couple of things. Uh, you know, maybe this the single site NCAA tournament part of it, but also uh, as we were talking about in the first segment, this is supposed to be Cat Grizz football. Saturday yep. in in Missoula, and we know the at least in general some of the economic ramifications of not having football in you know in Bozeman and in Missoula and 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 the economics that that generates. But it's interesting because well, like four or five years ago, the Bureau of Business and Economic Research at the University of Montana did a very specific and comprehensive study about the economic impact of. Of football, uh, specifically in games in the city of Missoula, jobs, dollars, and all that. Tell us about that a little bit, because I think that you know, especially now, is is pertinent information.
3: Yeah, so it was a comprehensive study done, as you mentioned, by the business, uh, the Bureau of Business and Economic Research, uh, by colleagues of mine, Pat Barkey and Kyle Morrill, uh, two economists, and they try to quantify you know what is the value of Grizzly athletics or thinking about it the other way, like if you were to remove Grizzly athletics from, um, Western Montana or Missoula in particular, like what would be the economic hole left behind and looking at just uh, data over, over the 2014, 2015 academic year, they found some striking results. One you can attribute almost 1400 jobs to Grizzly athletics. You can attribute about $53 million in annual income. And that's about $120 in gross economic output. And if you think about it, like in the context of a single game in you know, the average football game will bring about 2.5 million uh, in spending from people outside of Missoula to Missoula. It's really hard to replace that in, in a place like Missoula. And we talked about this in previous conversations. I mean, it's, it, it's hard not to budget, these sorts of effects. If you're if you're a local business, and it's certainly going to be hard to recover, uh, missing out on stuff like this. So, Grizzly Athletics um, is a key part of the economic engine in in this community for sure.
0: Hey, Justin, thanks so much for being here. When you talk about this this economic study, I think there's some things that are obvious in terms of you know ticket sales, the revenue generated by having a football game that's mm-hmm. going to be sold out. You know, people eating out at restaurants and drinking at bars and maybe staying at a hotel. Is there anything else, though, that maybe is not top of mind? Anything surprising that is an economic downfall from not having sporting events like a 26,000 person football game?
3: Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of kind of spillover effects that you think about, and, you know, you can attribute them to a single football game or across, you know, the study was sort of framed across all of Grizzly Athletics you know, and those those 1,400 jobs, yeah, a lot of them are going to be in areas directly um, associated with the production of the sporting events. But it's also their jobs in healthcare. You know, there's doctors and staff and physical therapists and athletic trainers that are employed. Um, There's coaches that are employed for sure, but a ton of service staff. Um, There's construction jobs. I mean, we see construction jobs sort of taken on and scheduled to address things like traffic flow in and off of I-90 to get people in and out of the stadium um, efficiently. So things like that are areas where you might not think you could attribute that economic activity to Grizzly Athletics, but, but if you think of it broadly, yeah, that's the key driver for a lot of, the, a lot of these jobs and a lot of this activity.
1: You know, one thing I, I've thought a lot about in regards to the specific situation in missoula and in bozeman uh again justin angle joining us professor of business at the university of montana business angle is the name of the segment every other tuesday we do this around here but it's you talk about the financial impact and you can assign the dollars you talk about you know 53 million dollars in 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 like total income or something like that 120 uh in in gross you know money's moving mm-hmm. but also what that comprises as a like percentage of of the gross economic activity in a city that is, you know, seventy thousand people say in Missoula or fifty thousand people in in Bozeman. You know, if 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 the University of Washington doesn't have football, they're going to lose a total uh, significantly more money than the University of Montana or than, than, than Bozeman. But as as a part of Seattle's commerce, it's a drop in the proverbial bucket. Uh, whereas right. in Missoula, it comprises such a higher percentage of, of of the economy
3: and the business at work, right? Yeah, it certainly does. And I think, you know, these numbers are from 2014, 2015. I mean, I do think there's been substantial growth in other sectors of the Missoula economy since then, particularly the tech se- uh, sector with employers like Luminat and Submittable and Onyx Maps and, and others that are growing but yeah, that percentage of the share of economic activity in this town is undeniable, and and it's an issue we've talked about before, um, and I know it's an issue that 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 um, I don't know if it keeps Ken Haslam up at night, but but it's probably nights where it does. Like even within the athletics program, the share of revenue that comes from putting butts in those seats at, at Washington Grizzly Stadium, you know, that's a great economic engine, but right. it's also risky in the sense that it's it's not a diverse array of revenue streams that the athletic department has so yeah there's a lot of sort of um single players in the in these games if you kind of track that analogy
0: it's a little outside of the box of this conversation in terms of the economic impact of athletics in a town like missoula but it has been interesting because i grew up here and when i was living here when my family first moved here in 1993 it was very clear that this was a college town, that the the, the University of Montana was the central point of Missoula. And I think that that maintained its truth for the better part of uh, all of my middle school, high school, and college years. And when I graduated from the University of Montana in 2009, that was still the case. And I think that it maintained that same reputation for several years into the 2010s. But because of a variety of different factors that have caused enrollment to drop it seemed to me that Missoula was hanging in the balance for a little while trying to to define or redefine itself on what, where are we at. The university is still going to be a, a huge part of what we do, but maybe not the central part, maybe not the central point as an economic engine. And we hear it from businesses all around town. You know, they're not necessarily catering to the student population anymore because the student population isn't 16,000 kids like it used to be. And I think that there's been an, uh, an impact across the board. I, th- I think on one hand, Missoula deserves a ton of credit. For sort of being able to redefine itself a little bit, that you have these thriving tech companies, you have you know Logjam Presents and what they've brought to the the entertainment industry of Missoula. Uh, the the downtown scene has become a little bit more diverse in terms of the options for eating and drinking, especially for you know people in their thirties, forties, and fifties, not just college age kids. But then you wonder once you start to lose the allure of a college town, can you ever get it back? Have you ever thought about that element of things? I mean, how does Mo- Missoula maintain its strong tie economically through the university uh, while also spurring on growth and continue to develop uh, as it has over these last handful of years?
3: Yeah, a lot in their culture. I mean, at, at the core of that is kind of the, the, the notion that, that I continue to be really bullish on this place and really enthusiastic about it. I mean, this is, a fantastic place to live, fantastic place to run a business, a fantastic place to raise a family. You know, good schools, good access to recreational opportunities, um, relatively accessible real estate, although that's a growing challenge, and a university. And yeah, that university's had its problems, and those are those are well documented. And, and I don't certainly don't have all the answers to enrollment. I've got a few uh, or a few ideas. Uh, And we need to do better, we need to do a better job not only creating um, academic opportunities that are attractive to a wide variety of students, but we also need to do a better job communicating those opportunities and communicating that the successes that are happening here. And, you know, I I think your point is a fair one that, that, you know, as we've struggled, some in the community have said, hey, we don't want to necessarily hitch our wagon as directly to the university as we had before. Um, and that's ultimately good for those, those business owners. They've expanded the the diversity in in their business and that's good. Um, but the reason I'm optimistic is that we've had this growth in this great town, kind of in spite of a university, not um, operating on all cylinders. We get this thing operating again and, and I'm optimistic that we will. And I just think this is going to be a better and better and better place to live with more and more opportunities for more people. Um, and ultimately that, I mean, it's a place that people are going to be excited about and, and you know, back to the cat grizz thing. Like that's a big part of the, the sort of more difficult, um, aspects of these games and these events, more difficult to measure the, the effect of a loss of a game like this. I mean, the effect of a, you know, the, the sort of positive energy that it can bring to a, a community, you know, win or lose is, is, is really difficult to measure. People get proud of the institution. They get proud of their, their town. They get proud of, you know, their relationships and their heritage and all those things um, are really hard to measure, but they're, they're equally important. So, you know, Colter, I don't know if I answered your question directly, but, but I continue to be bullish on this place. And I think the universities, you know, show, you know COVID stuff, but, but, in spite of COVID, we're showing some signs of, of putting the right things in place to do better in the future.
1: Well, you know, I, just to sort of add to that a little bit too, in any rivalry, especially one like we've got here, any given season there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser of a, of a specific game or whatever. But regardless of the outcome of that game, it's so much better than not having a rivalry. Like I mean, there's some schools out there that are just sort of hanging out that really don't have anybody like the the engagement that both Montana State and the University of Montana have from the community and from the fan base mm-hmm. and from the alumni, because they know that there's this sort of ongoing perpetual competition that's happening between, you know, their school and the other school and their town and the other town adds a level of animation and engagement and then ultimately of finances and of resources that you know that if you were just sort of sitting out there as as some schools that really don't have much of a following much of a rivalry that people don't care all that much about I mean that that seems to me specific and like you said very hard to quantify that you can't put a number to to the to the feeling or to the you know the the level of identity or engagement that people have with their school or their team, but yet the fact that that's there, I think we would all say that that's pretty important and ultimately does have material upshot.
3: Indeed, a rivalry thrives when both teams are competitive, right? It's certainly great to you know pound the. The, you pound your, your, your rival and beat them into submission. But if you're just winning over, over again, like that, that gets boring after a while. So you want you, you want these games to be, you know, have playoff implications, have high stakes. You want Montana state to come into this game, you know, undefeated and then Montana having the chance to, to to break that streak, or whatever the setup. Yeah. Yeah. So having a rival that is, you know, sort of on par with you status and ability level is, is is what you want it's good for good for all sides you
1: know justin as usual the time just flies away. We had so much stuff about the, uh, you know, about the single site deal about paying athletes. Sure. John Thompson, Jr. wrote, wrote a, a phenomenal piece uh, from his upcoming autobiography, mm-hmm. which he turned us on to in the New York times about paying players and where, what his position on is, is on that and how it's shifted. And uh, I hope that we can get to that maybe in a couple of weeks in a subsequent, a subsequent business angle and, uh, and create some space for that. Cause I think that's all really interesting, but given the week that it is, I suppose, warranted to focus on Cat Grizz, Missoula, Bozeman, the state of Montana, and some of the economics associated with that.
3: hundred percent. I think it's the right call. And, you know, I do feel for, you know, the, the citizens of this town, the fans of both teams, it is a loss. And I think we got to kind of, you know, this COVID thing's tough we got to bu- buckle down and, 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 and kind of come together and protect each other and we'll get through it.
1: Uh, quickly here, uh, Justin. Justin Angle joining us, uh, business professor at the University of Montana, and also uh, proprietor, of the engine, the mind, and force behind a new Angle podcast. Great, great podcast series. Brand new one out today. Whitney Schwab, Five Valleys Land Trust. Give us just give us the quick thirty seconds on on Whitney Schwab and what she's up to.
3: Yeah, Whitney Schwab, executive director, Five Valleys Land Trust. Great local organization doing important sort of blocking and tackling, nuts and bolts conservation work, doing land deals to make Missoula uh, the great place it is and the access to the outdoors that we all enjoy. Um, Really fantastic organization, kind of a pillar of this community and it was great to have Whitney on. Um, They're doing some wonderful work with Dean Stone on the south end of town. Um, get some exciting news about some funding coming through so yeah check out that episode check out five valleys land trust they're doing great work
1: yeah new angle podcast as good as it gets subscribe to that and each week uh just just a new surprise like christmas every tuesday morning on that thing so uh justin appreciate the time as always we will uh we'll talk to you sometime in december my friend uh next time we talk here so we're getting through it here but good to have you as always I suppose so. Thanks, fellas. Be safe. We'll talk soon. You got it. Justin Angle. It's a business angle. Every other Tuesday, 430 right here on Two Till and Nuwana's. Quick break on the other side. We got some high school state championships to tell you about. Next. Spent a lot of time talking about football state champions, but boys and girls, we got some titles handed out in volleyball as well. This two New Orleans, 1029 ESPN Radio at Gus at 1029 ESPN at Skyline Sports MT. Those are your relevant Twitter handles. It's time for our prep extra segment. It's brought to us by the Farmer's State Bank. Farmer's State Bank, your Montana bank since 1907. Colin asked today about a low cost, low interest holiday loan ton cheaper save a ton of money than just racking it up on your credit card like you always do easy terms oac farmer state bank colter we got uh some some state championships in volleyball and one in particular very very notable but let's start with class double a and helena capital beat cmr great great championship match went for the full five sets but helena capital comes out victorious and that is hello three in a row it's a turkey as they say, if this is bowling, you got your gobble-gobble on for Helena Capital, three straight Volleyball State Champions.
0: And it's more than just three straight. This is 71 straight match victories for yep. Helena Capital. They have not lost since the Barsh Twins were early on in their sophomore year. Uh, fourth time, this they were pushed to five sets in the last four years. So th- this is uh, as dominant as it comes uh, for Helena Capital. And, I mean, the the Barch twins, Paige and Danny Barch, are going to go down as two of the great volleyball players ever to come out of Montana. Paige Barch will likely be the Gatorade Player of the Year in in volleyball. She had 28 kills and three blocks in this match. She's headed to Boise State on a full ride. And her sister, Danny, is coming here to the University of Montana, to Missoula, to play basketball for the Lady Grizz. And she has a lot of upside athletically. So they are tremendous, tremendous athletes. And they led capital for the last three years on one of the most dominant runs
1: Class AA has seen. Fantastic! Congratulations uh, to them and to uh, to the Bruins as well on on another uh, volleyball victory in Class A. Billing Central—they're the best team all season. They sweep in the uh, state championship game. Columbia Falls three three games to none, and they have won their third championship in their last four years for Billing Central. This
0: so their dynasty continues as well. You know, it's it's interesting too because the Class A ranks. You always had Lewistown forever as one of the powers in volleyball, but for whatever reason, they've taken a little dip the last couple of years. And they were always right there with Billing Central. The other power, though, was Belgrade. And so not having Belgrade in the Class A ranks has really opened things up for Central to be dominant. And to sweep in the state championship match, that's an impressive feat for Billing Central taking care of business against Columbia Falls. But three out of four, uh, impressive uh, as well. And uh, we'll see if they can keep it rolling. But the girls' sports at Billing Central, pretty darn good right now.
1: And finally, in Class B, uh, the dominant program without peer has been recently Huntley Project. Well, not even just, mean, just recently. Well, for the last a, 12 years. A I mean, decade. That's yeah, I mean, recent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, just just not close. And yet, step aside, because there's a new sheriff in town, at least for this year, Joliet, not just winning, but in fact sweeping Huntley Project in the state championship, three games to none. And Coulter, there's a little history between these two teams even in this season, but the unbelievable run of Huntley Project, which is truly Unparalleled uh, is is at least paused for the time being. And Joliet, where's the crown?
0: Well, there's only been one five-time state champion in the history of volleyball in any classification in the state of Montana. That's when Huntley Project won five straight between 2009 and 2013. This was the 12th straight appearance in the Class B state title game or state title match. Excuse me for Huntley Project. So they've been in the t- 12 in a row. They lost a couple in the middle of there, but they basically won. 10 out of the last 13, including three in a row, they were gunning for their fourth in a row, which would be only the second four-peat, equaling their own record from last decade into this decade. Right. And they had a 101-match winning streak coming into this season, but that was snapped earlier by Joliet. Because of COVID, these teams developed a crazy rivalry this year, playing each other within their conference, but also playing each other at various invitational tournaments. So this state championship match was the eighth time that they've played nice against good, each other gracious. just this year. But for for the Jayhawks to sweep Huntley Project, it's uh, absolutely a changing of the guard. What an absolutely memorable season for Joliet because, you know, you talk about this is a team. There's not very many small towns in Montana that are Class B, Class C that are moving up in the ranks. And that's what Joliet did. They moved up from Class C to Class B 13 years ago, and they've stayed in Class B. They haven't had the, the attendance dwindle. And so then for them to win their first Class B state championship by basically slaying Goliath is pretty darn impressive really, for the Jayhawks. Really,
1: impressive. Well, congratulations to all the teams and then to the state champions as well. This has been our prep extra segment. It's brought to us by the Farmer State Bank again. Call now as the holidays coming up. Get a low-interest holiday loan, much cheaper than a credit card. Easy terms, OAC, from the Farmer's State Bank.
0: We also got to mention Bridger took down Manhattan Christian in the Class C as well. So that's the the second time that uh, Bridger's won a state title. Their first guard came in 2004. And as we know, Manhattan Christian has been a perennial power in Class C volleyball. So uh, a couple extensions of dynasties in the Class AA, Class A levels, and then a, uh, a couple changing of the guards in Class B and Class C.
1: You know, culture for most people, uh, you know, maybe Friday's your favorite day, maybe Saturday, Sunday, something like that. My favorite day of the week is Dagnab Tuesday. Because this is the day of the week where we get a giveaway the thing that everybody wants, and that is the best sandwich you can find at Teglieri Deli. It is Teglieri Tuesdays. We got ourselves a Hall & Oats. That's the theme, people. Great bands over there. Great bands make great sandwiches. We know that's the truth. You give us a call right now, 361-3688. You got yourself a gift card to Tagliari's Deli right over there next to the Grizzly Grocery off of Higgins, the turnabout there. And, uh, look, if you're from here, you know. But get in there because it is like the first time every time these sandwiches just you cannot do better.
0: And they have such a little local deli feel they have all the, oh, the wine and the pasta and the nice sauces. You can get the cheese plates and the, the meats and all those sorts of things. But the thing that they have so many loyal customers that there was a secret menu. And people that knew, knew, and people that didn't, maybe didn't. But now they're kind enough to post the secret menu right there for you, right in front of the, uh, the cash register. So the Hall dose Oats is part of the secret menu. It's turkey, prosciutto, provolone, arugula, basil, tomato, feisty sauce, and mayo. Our main man Max, who's the guy who always makes these delicious sandwiches, this is his favorite. He says so. Well, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, easy to see why. So go check out the secret menu at Tagliere Deli. Give us a call right now three six one three six eight eight for twenty five bucks. Tagliere Delicatessen, right there, corner of Higgins and Bab- or, or corner of Higgins and Beckwith. Excuse me, uh, right by the roundabout.
1: It's as good as it gets. I'm so happy right now. This is such a fantastic sandwich. Enjoy it. Quick break on the other side. NBA. A little bit of college hoops.